Let's pray and we're going to dive into the book of Proverbs. Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you for your truths that you have revealed here. God, what we thank you most of all for is the fact that these truths reveal that you are a forgiving and loving God and that you have sent your Son, and that through your Son we are given new life. And as we talk this morning and we look uh, at this new life, what this new life looks like in Christ, we ask that you help us, that your Spirit convict us, and draw us to repentance and draw us to Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are you an angry person? Are you an angry person? Nah. Well, Proverbs, the study of Proverbs as we've been doing it has been both difficult and encouraging for me, especially the last couple of weeks as what, what we've been doing is taking the entire book of Proverbs and drawing out the main themes from the book. And uh, so as we're talking about laziness, as we're talking about abusing words, and now this morning as we talk about uh, anger, well, it's both convicting, challenging, and difficult because who among us can say, nah, no bit of laziness in this soul. No bit of, I've never abused a word in my life. Not an angry person at all, right? Who can say that? I mean, it, this is convicting. But it's encouraging in this sense. Remember way back when we first started our series in Proverbs, I talked about how Proverbs was written not for the wise, but it was written for fools. It was written for sinners. It was written for like really screwed up, messed up, broken people like me, and I assume like you as well, if you're anything like me. Uh, so, so we come here and, and we ask ourselves, first of all, do we see ourselves here? Yes. Uh, what does the Bible say to us and how then can, might, might we live? If you are an angry person, I have good news for you. You are in the right place today. All right, we're talking about anger. You're probably around. Everybody, just look to your left and your right. You're probably around some angry people. All right, I know somebody probably. We were singing these songs, and you're just like trying to sing, and your teeth are gritting in the process. You're angry about something. All right, can't even focus. Uh, some of you might be angry at me right now. All right, and uh, it's just challenging. We are angry. Uh, we're angry people because we are a hurt people. Pain causes anger, doesn't it? But the Bible calls us to be uh, slow to anger. Let me just read a couple Proverbs to you. Um, don't feel like turning there yet. I'm going to have you turn to some others. But Proverbs, uh, Proverbs, or, uh, Proverbs 25, I'm sorry, can't speak. Chapter 14, verse 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. A hasty temper exalts folly. Uh, chapter 15, verse 18, the hot-tempered man stirs strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Chapter 16, verse 32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Chapter 19, verse 11, good sense makes one slow to anger. There's just a sampling from the Proverbs. Uh, everybody say slow to anger. All right. I scanned the book of Proverbs, and I could not find one exhortation that told us to not be angry. So I'm, I'm noticing all of this slow to anger speech, and then I'm wondering, 
do we ever find anything in here that says, do not be angry? I couldn't, I couldn't find it. Now, this might surprise some of you, but the Bible actually commands you to be angry. Did you know that? The Bible commands you to be angry. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it says this, be angry. We can't get any more clear of an exhortation than be angry, all right? Be angry. How many of you are happy to hear that? Yes, I can leave now. Don't tell me anymore. The story of God's redemption in the Bible, at least in part, we see a story of God's own anger. God is sometimes angry. God is angry when widows are overlooked. God is angry when orphans are taken advantage of. God is angry when people are lifting up their hands in worship, yet their hearts are far from, from Him. Now, the story of the Bible is not just a story of how God is sometimes angry, but it's also a story about God's forgiveness and God's love for angry people and how He makes a way for angry people to be restored through the gospel of Jesus Christ, His blood shed on the cross. But as I said, sorrow is behind all anger. Behind every anger, whether that's good anger or bad anger, you're going to find pain. And God is a being who is sorrowful uh, when He sees sin. Sin makes God sad. And so then sin therefore makes God angry because pain leads to anger. In 1741, a guy named Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Now, that title, all right, says it all. If we were to distribute some material in the neighborhood saying, we're going to preach a sermon, it's going to be called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, how many people are going to come? Well, Edwards is pleading with sinners. Edwards is pleading, look, your sin makes God sorrowful, and sorrow leads to God's anger for sin, and so God's anger it rests on sinners. Sinners, you are in the hands of an angry God. But now Edwards is not just simply saying this to condemn people, but his sermon is bathing his congregation in the grace of God. The forgiveness of God for sinners saying he's pleading with sinners, please flee to God, run to God, because God's arms are outstretched and they are open and his hands are open and he's pleading with you to come and to rest in his forgiveness and his grace. But God is indeed sometimes angry. Jesus was sometimes angry. So therefore, we, the followers of Christ, ought to be sometimes, everybody say it, angry. We should be angry when we encounter child abuse. We should be angry when we experience injustice. We should be angry when there is false doctrine that invades pulpits. We should be angry. Ephesians chapter 4, be angry. But, all right, so everybody who thought you were justified in your anger, be angry, but... Do not sin. Amen. 
God uh, sometimes is angry and has never sinned in His anger. He has never sinned. God is always just. He always does what's right. God is holy, holy, holy. Be angry, but do not sin. Now, Proverbs, as we look at the book of Proverbs, warns us about anger more than any other emotion. All right, so just track with me here. Anger is an emotion that we have that's part of being in the image of God. So we have this emotion called anger that's good. However, we see more warnings against this emotion than any other emotion that we are equipped with. And why is that? It's because in this sin-broken world, there is no emotion that is as destructive when abused than anger. There is no emotion that kills more so than anger. When anger becomes sinful, it becomes explosive. When anger becomes sinful, if not outwardly explosive, it be, anger rots in the soul. And it turns into bitterness. All right? So this is what we call a, just a bitter person. Be angry and sin not. Because anger is when explosive and when rotting, it is destructive. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 4, wrath is cruel. Anger, a torrent. While the correct use of anger is a firearm to defend the weak and the innocent, the abuse of anger becomes a soul field of landmines. Landmines planted in your soul every couple feet, and the innocent are walking across this field. Children are walking across this field. The elderly are taking a stroll across this field. And every couple feet, they're stepping in a landmine. Anger is destructive. Now, let me show you a couple ways in the Proverbs where anger is destructive. There are probably 20 or 30 ways we could pull out. I'm just going to pull out four here. uh, Four big ones that we see in Proverbs as we just look at this theme. Chapter 17, verse 1, if you would turn there with me. Proverbs chapter 17. Verse 1, it says, uh, Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. The first way that we see anger as a destructive force, anger leads to problems at home. Anger leads to issues at home. This proverb says, Better is a dry morsel, all right, so a dry piece of bread sitting on the table for dinner. This is better with. Uh, with quietness or with quiet, uh, this word quiet literally means prosperity. All right? Better is a dry morsel with prosperity around the table, with peace around the table, than a house full of feasting with strife. Friends, when you think of the prosperous, happy family that you're going to have someday, what do you picture? What, do you, what are your sights set on when you think of this prosperous, happy family? Well, we think of, uh, we think of three or four bedrooms, 
All right, we think of nice furniture in the house. It smells nice in there. Um, there's, there's something in the oven. There's a nice table in the dining room. And there is a feast on the table. And there's just stuff all over the place. There's plenty of money in the bank account. When we think about, man, this is, if I could have any kind of family that I want, this is, what I, this is what I kind of envision as the prosperous, happy family that I will have one day. The Bible uh, does not ever link material prosperity with happiness. Ever. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite here. Not saying that happiness comes with poverty, but what he's saying is this. It would be better to have a dry piece of bread for dinner. Sitting on the table, that's all you have left. An old piece of bread. And there is peace and love and joy around this table. That would be better than to have a spread of meat and mashed potatoes and gravy and baked mac and cheese and the wine is flowing and whatever. The spread, yet there is anger around the table. There is strife around the table. Friends, children, do not uh, truly desire material prosperity. If you are unhappy with your own life because you can't give your kids what you think they want. Friends, they don't want more material things. Not really. On the surface, they might. But what kids want is love. They want peace. Anger destroys the home. Not because it removes material prosperity. That might flow. That might be in abundance. It destroys the home because it destroys the relationships and there is now strife sitting in a hooked up home. So first, anger destroys the home. Secondly, as we see this, um, anger also leads us to foolish actions. So turn back to chapter 14, verse 17. Chapter 14, verse 17 says this, a man of quick temper acts how? Foolishly. A man of quick temper acts foolishly. Meaning, uh, dumb stuff. Alright, a quick temper, it leads us to do like just dumb stuff. I was trying to drive to Federal Hill last night, trying to get somewhere in Federal Hill. And I was on a timetable, I had a certain time, I needed to be there. And I went to the office to print something off, and I'm having issues with my printer, all right? Um, this is just a normal problem in my life. And so I'm sitting there for like 40 minutes trying to print some stupid document, all right? And then I get in my car, and I can't find my phone charger. My phone's about dead, all right? So now I'm looking through the house for my phone charger. It happens to be plugged into the wall. <laughs> Who does this sort of stuff? And then I'm in my car, and I get down to Pratt Street, and there's some construction on Light Street, and the, the traffic is just not moving. And I'm sitting there, looking at the clock, freaking out. And so I take a right turn onto that road. I don't know if you've ever done this before. You take a right turn onto that road, and you end up on 95. All right? I thought I was taking a shortcut to Federal Hill, and I'm driving toward Washington, D.C., get off Caton Avenue, turn around, coming back into the city, and I all of a sudden believe that I missed uh, 395 
back into the city and I'm now heading toward the tunnel. I don't know if you've ever gone through the tunnel on accident, uh, but that $2 or whatever it costs to go through that dumb tunnel might as well be $200. All right? I felt like driving my car into the guardrail. I was so angry. I considered it. Uh, anger leads us to do dumb stuff. That's biblical. It leads you to do just foolish things. We've all seen this drama played out. Dude has a bad day at work. Like something went wrong. Everything went wrong maybe. Nothing is going right. Boss is mad. He comes home and what does he do? He kicks the dog. The dog didn't do anything, but he's just angry and he's doing something dumb. Uh, shouting at your spouse or at your children or uh, texting obscenities to your friends. We just do dumb stuff when we're angry. Let's think of a few different ways that this has played out. How many are wounded because of dumb stuff their parents did out of anger? How many churches are destroyed because pastors lead not out of a gentle spirit, but out of a spirit of anger, and they do dumb stuff? How many have rebelled against God, turned their hearts against God, because God didn't do for them what they thought God should do for them, and they've made the dumbest decision any of us can ever make? I looked across the street some years ago, and there was a man who was parallel parked and getting into his car to drive away, and evidently that, uh, from the time that he first parked the car until now, someone else had parked behind him, like an inch or two from his bumper, um, and he couldn't get out of his spot, all right? Uh, before long, this is what the man does, he puts the car into reverse, and he uh, hits the gas, and he smashes the car behind him, puts the car into drive, hits the gas, and smashes the car in front of him. And he repeats this smashing until he has effectively moved the cars away from his vehicle so he can now pull on out and go down the road. All right, this is what we call dumb stuff. The, the, the man who has a quick temper acts foolishly, the Bible says. Number three, as anger leads us to have problems at home, as anger leads us to do dumb stuff, anger also leads to stiff penalties. Chapter 19, verse 19. Go ahead and turn there. Chapter 19, verse 19, a man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will have to do it again. Now, part of being a Christian is understanding that God's discipline of us is actually a good thing. Part of being a Christian is understanding that when there is a penalty to be paid, that it's actually in some ways a grace for us because that will teach us and we will grow through this. God's discipline for the Christian is always good. And one of the common graces that God has given us is the government, which enacts penalties 
for dumb stuff. And what he's saying here in the Proverbs is that the man who has a quick temper, who acts foolishly, a man of great wrath, he will pay the penalty. Listen, if you deliver him, he's just going to do it over again. If you deliver this man, you will have to deliver him again, meaning you can't bail the fool out of his foolery. It's impossible to bail him out. And so you must then let the man take the penalty and pay the penalty that is due him with the hopes that maybe he will learn and be taught. But as it is, he's not changing. The fool leads to stiff penalties. Now let's be clear and let's make this personal. This is a great warning for us. Meaning we can, in five minutes of anger, ruin our lives and have a severe penalty that we must pay. It takes five minutes to ruin your life. My friend uh, was just telling me the other day that he has a, or had a housemate that he was hanging out with a couple weeks ago. His housemate made him dinner, and they were just hanging out, having a good time, laughing. A couple days later, he saw his housemate leave out the door, waved goodbye. Um, that night, his housemate was on a, in a bar on Howard Street, and the housemate's friend was being escorted out of the bar by the bouncers. The housemate, quick temper, explosive anger, great wrath, hot-tempered, the housemate loses it and by the end of the night has stabbed two bouncers and killed one of them. And my friend, as he's telling me this story, he says, it's just surreal. I mean, I was just hanging, we were just hanging out. It takes five minutes of drunken anger to ruin your life. And he'll spend the rest of his life in jail. And he should. Because a man of great wrath will pay the penalty. Anger leads to stiff penalties. Lastly, anger leads to people problems. That's sort of evident through all of this, but just for the sake of stating it, anger leads to people problems. Chapter 15, verse 8. Just turn back a page. Chapter 15, verse 8. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. I want to give you some homework. Go up to somebody, just anybody, and say, you made me so angry. I am so mad at you. You, you are the lowest scum of the earth. You have no clue what you... The way that you said what you said to me, if you only, I am so mad at you. All right, try that and see how this person responds. I would imagine that their response will be, what do you mean you're angry with me? You have no clue why I said what I said. You, right? Expletive, expletive, etc., etc. It's because... The scriptures say, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife. The person who's slow to anger quiets contention. Well, what does this mean? It means that anger 
unleashed creates more anger. Alright, so you're angry. You, this landmine of the soul explodes and you've made another angry person. Now, does this make your life better or worse? This makes things worse, not better. Now friends, listen to this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just news that God is making us right vertically with him. That's true. God, in his great mercy, has sent us Jesus Christ, who has bled for us and who has lived for us and who is our mediator between God and man. And we have a right relationship with the creator of the universe. Everybody say amen to that. But the gospel also unites us and rescues us and restores us horizontally with each other. If the gospel indeed restores us this way, the gospel also restores us this way, so that all who are restored vertically are also restored horizontally. Which means this, that God is creating a new family. God is creating a new family and a new humanity. You know, go back to this family situation with the the bread, the dry piece of bread and strife around the table. Oh, one day, our Father is going to set out a table. And around this table, there will be no strife. Around this table, there will only be love and, and peace and prosperity within our relationships. Oh, and on this table, there will also be a feast. This is why the wise man and the truly blessed family can eat a piece of bread for dinner, a dried morsel, because his eyes are focused on the meal that is to come. Oh, he's not missing out on anything in this life. He's focused on this feast that is to come. And so then it's experienced in the prosperous relationships right here. All right? Listen, in the same way, God is creating a new humanity. In Revelation chapter 21, it says that the Lord will come to this earth and uh, uh, he is redeeming and rescuing a people. Not just merely individuals, but a people, a plurality, a community will be together under this Lord Jesus Christ and we will have the, uh, the blessing of His physical presence and ruling and reigning with us. And there will be no more strife. In Baltimore, we have hundreds of murders every year. Anger upon anger upon anger. We have... We have moms and dads that hate each other. We've got uh, friends that are backstepping one another. We've got relational issues. Anger compounded upon anger. Friends, uh, I want you to realize that we're part of a new Baltimore. We're part of a new community, a new humanity, a new family, a new people. And this people, even though we are still in sin, meaning we still will have strife with each other, we are moving toward this feast in which one day all relationships will be healed. Revelation 22 says that in this, in this, uh, this, this new world there will be a tree that grows and on this tree there will be leaves and leaves are in the ancient culture sort of like medicine and these leaves, it says, will be healing for the nations. Amen. That means peace. No more war whether that's national wars or whether that's individual wars. 
There will be no more people problems. Anger in this sinful world leads us to people problems. Friends, I'm not just simply trying to describe uh, what's available. I'm pleading with you. Are you part of this new humanity? Are you part of this new family? Has, Has God has opened the doors wide for you to enter into this home? God has opened the doors wide through the blood of Christ, trusting in Him, repenting of your sins. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be adopted as His sons and brought into this new family. Are you part of this family? Are you part of this new humanity? God is redeeming a people and I want you to be part of it. Now the Bible warns us against anger as anger is, as we've seen, very destructive. But where does all of this anger come from? I mean, you might see some of this in your life. Where does it come from? Let's talk about that just briefly. There are probably a hundred different external places that anger comes from. I'll name a couple that we see in Proverbs. First, we see that, uh, that, that words are a cause for anger. Chapter 15, verse 1, a harsh word stirs up anger. Chapter 25, verse 23, a backbiting tongue brings out anger. As a pastor, I deal with the emotional hurts of people, and I would say nine times out of ten when someone is seething with rage, it often has to do with words that were spoken years ago. Words bring out anger. Secondly, fellowship with angry people causes anger. Chapter 22, verse 25, it says, Make no fellowship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man lest you learn his ways. This word fellowship is this idea not just of hanging out with somebody, not just of being a friend with somebody, this idea of union with somebody, camaraderie with someone, commonality with someone. These are the people that you identify yourself with. These are the people that you find, uh, uh, find union with. All right? Don't fellowship, he says, with an angry person. Why? Because you're going to learn their ways. Fellowship with the angry cause people to become angry. Number three, another cause, external cause, is pride. Pride. If you're proud, you're probably angry. All right? Pride causes anger. Chapter 13, verse 10. Turn there with me, actually. I want you you to see this one. Chapter 13, verse 10. By insolence, everybody say insolence. insolence. By insolence, that word literally is translated pride, and it's translated pride in most translations. By pride comes nothing but strife, problems, anger. But others who take advice are wise. So the person who is, is humble is a person who listens and takes advice and, and they're wise, but the ones who are proud, they end up with nothing but anger. Now, these are just a couple of hundreds. We could probably keep going. A couple of external uh, things that cause us to become angry. Now let's ask this question. Why do these things cause us to become angry? Or why does anything? I mean, what is it that makes you angry? Why does anything cause us to become angry? What is the seed? What is, what is the problem behind the problem with 
anger. And this is, this is it. This is what, we're, what, we, what we've already talked about. Behind all anger, listen, is sorrow. Behind all anger is pain. If I punch you in the nose, you're going to feel physical pain. And that pain is going to turn into anger. If I punch you in the nose, you'll probably be angry with me. Can we, can we try this, anybody? I would love to just take a moment and see if this is true. Ivan? <laughs> oh. So let's go back to pride. Pain causes anger. So let's, let's actually go back to pride, seriously. Let's think about this a little bit. How does pride cause anger, and therefore, how does pride cause pain? I mean, you get it. How does pr- pride cause pain, and therefore, anger? Here's how. Pride uh, has you at the center of your universe. Hey, Cardi, could you stick something in front of that projector right there? That is blinding me. There we go. Thank you, Kwame. Pride, ha- pride keeps you at the center of your own universe. I can't see anybody right now. Which means that your God, your only God, is your ego. All right? You're the, the supreme being that you need to please the supreme being that you sacrifice to is your ego. Now listen, your ego will never be satisfied with your performance. Your ego will never have enough. This means this, your ego is a terrible and damning and demanding God. And because you can never please your ego, you have great pain. Because the greatest being, God, you cannot please. And so you have pain, and then that leads to frustration, and frustration then leads to anger, and so you are angry with those who you blame. You are angry with yourself who you blame. Let's think about this as it pertains to words. How do words make us angry? Well, this is easy. We talked about it last week. Sticks and stones may break my bones, and words will always hurt me, right? Sort of the mantra of last week's sermon. Words, words hurt. Words hurt, and hurt uh, repeated leads to frustration, and frustration leads then to anger. Or how about this fellowship with the angry? Well, those who are angry have pains and they have hurts. And as we fellowship and we find commonality and union with the angry, their hurts and their pains become our hurts and pains. And then it says, not only that, but it says we learn from them. We learn their ways. Meaning we learn how they deal with pain. We learn how they deal with this. And, and that then leads us to becoming angry people. Now, if you come across someone who's angry, just an angry person, don't simply try to 
confront their anger, but rather confront their pain. Someone is angry. What are they hurting? Where are they hurting? Where do they have pain? Now let's think about ourselves. Friends, this is exactly what God does with us. God speaks His Word. And God doesn't just simply speak to our actions. God doesn't just speak to the peripheral things. But God speaks to our pain. God speaks to our hurts. And listen, the the Word of God transforms things. The Word of God reverses pain. The Word of God reverses death, destruction that is caused from pain. I think of Ezekiel, the Word of God spoken through the prophet Ezekiel to a valley of dry bones sees a reversal happen as bones come back to life. And there's an army now of standing men through the Word of God being proclaimed. I think of Jesus as He calls a tax collector and he, He says to this greedy tax collector, follow Me, and spiritual life is born in the tax collector, renewed, revived, a soul that is warmed and follows Christ. I think of Jesus there as He comes across the grave of a dead man. And through His Word, come forth, Lazarus wakes up and comes out of the grave. Listen, the Word of God transforms us. The Word of God speaks not just to our actions, but to our hurts and our pains and reverses the death that is there. Well, what does that mean? It means this. Our problem is not just simply the fact that we need to get anger management. Our problem isn't just going to a, 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 a seminar on anger. We, we don't need to develop new habits. What we need are new beliefs. What we need is to hear the Word of God spoken. What we need to do is to read the Word of God and to trust the Word of God and to believe the Word of God. And friends, the Word of God has the power to transform you and to heal your pain, to heal the hurt that lies within. Listen to these Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 29. Whoever is slow to anger, so this is the wise person who has submitted his anger to the lordship, under the lordship of Jesus. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. And then it goes on and it says, not only does the one slow to anger have great understanding, but it says, he who is hasty, has a hasty temper is someone who exalts folly. Oh, the the wise, the person who's controlling their anger has great understanding. Chapter 19, verse 11. Good sense, right belief, right thoughts, good sense makes one slow to anger. Listen, our beliefs determine our actions. Alistair Begg, a preacher that I enjoy listening to occasionally, he said one time, um, that he was visiting a church and the service leader got up and he started off by saying, hey, how is everybody today? I hope you're feeling well. And Beg said, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm a little hungry. I'm tired. Frankly, I don't feel like being here today. 
The first thing I need to hear is not whether or not I feel good. He's a wrong question to ask me. But rather ask me this, what do I believe this morning? What do I know is true this morning? When we gather together, we need to be not reminded just simply how we feel, not, be, not try to tweak our feelings so that we can go out and feel better about ourselves and go out into the world and start a movement. No, what we need to do when we gather is we need to hear the Word of God so that we can be reminded of what we know to be true. Because it's what we believe that determines how we live. And so then, this is what we do. Every Sunday, I stand up here and I proclaim the Word of God. I lift up and I preach God's Word to you. And hopefully, it's a Word that's faithfully preached, meaning it's, it's what God said. And what God is doing is something extraordinary in this very ordinary event. The Word of God is lifted and the Word of God speaks to hearts and changes people. It's phenomenal. So how do, what do we do with our anger? How do we... How do we Get over this, this explosiveness that is within. Well, here's how. What are you angry about? What, are you, what makes you angry? What hurt is driving that anger? And what does God, God's Word say about that hurt? Meaning, what does God's Word say? What promises does He give? What do we see in the Scriptures? That if we trusted it, if we truly trusted it, we would be able to deal with our hurt in a way that doesn't lead us to sin. Let me just give you a couple examples. Pride. Pride. The hurt is that we are letting down our ego. What do we need to believe? Well, He... John the Baptist said, must increase, and I must decrease. Christ is worthy of glory. Only God is worthy of all of our praise. We must lift Him up, and we must decrease. If we believed that Christ is the most supreme being, if we believed that Christ was tastier than anything else we could ever imagine, if we believed that He was worth everything, if we trusted His Word, well, then our hurts would be dealt with. Loneliness, being abandoned. Christ said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Listen, Christ is present with you now. Do you want, do you believe that God is present with you all of the time? If we trusted that when Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, if we trusted His Word then our loneliness would not lead us to anger. Injustice. How do we deal with the pain from injustice and keep that from leading us to sinful anger? Chapter 20, verse 22 in the Proverbs, it says, I will repay. I will repay, saith the Lord. Wait for the Lord, and He will deliver you. Oh, do you believe that Christ is the judge? Do you believe that Christ will make every wrong right? Amen. Do you believe that the wicked will stand before the judge and that they will be judged accordingly and that God is a just God? Do we believe that when God says, I will repay, that He means I will repay? How do we deal with words spoken to us? 
Fear not what man can do to you, but fear him who can throw both body and soul into hell. Man can do nothing to harm you. Why fear man? Why let the the, the rejection of man, that pain, lead you to sin against the Creator when the Creator of the cosmos is giving you two thumbs up through Jesus Christ? What, What makes you angry? What is the hurt that is driving that anger? And how does the gospel speak to that? What do you believe? Christ is the deliverer. Christ is your rescuer. Christ is the judge. Christ will right every wrong. Have you ever called upon His name? Have you ever reached out and said, God, I need help? Have you ever said, Christ, save me? Have you trusted in Him? Listen, there is no ultimate healing for any wound outside of Christ. We can live our lives outside of Christ and we can figure out how to use band-aids to cover up a whole lot of aspects of our wounds, but there is no, there is no healing from all wounds outside of Jesus Christ. And there is an eternal wound that Christ heals as well. The wound of sin and the wound of death. Have you called upon His name? Are you part of this new humanity? Are you part of this family? I pray that you are. What makes you angry? What is the pain behind that anger? And what does God's Word say which if you really trusted it would become a healing balm for that hurt? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the the, the practicality of the Proverbs. They are so helpful for us. Uh, You are a a good God, not just simply to tell us us what to believe, but but how to practically live out our faith. Uh, Help us, God, to trust Your Word, that Your Word would become healing for our wounds, that Christ would heal the nations individually, within our hearts, and that we would be a people not ruled by our anger. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.